Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission for this podcast is to ask chief business officers to reflect on their careers, share personal examples of the ways they have navigated challenging situations, and offer some lessons that they've learned from their experience as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. everyone, and welcome back to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, your host, and today we're doing something a little different. Dr. Jill Creighton is the host of the SA Voices podcast that shares stories from student affairs professionals. And in this episode, you're going to hear an interview between Jill and two former guests of CBO Speaks in a special cross-posted episode. It's a little different than our typical show, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. Welcome CBO Speaks and NASPA SA Voices to our second crossover of what is NASPA's season for feature casting for the student affairs profession. I'm really thrilled today to be working with Megan Strand, who is co-host of CBO Speaks. Megan, welcome to NASPA. Hey, Jill. Thank you so much for having us. We are so excited to be here. So we're going to do this like we've done other crossovers where we drop this episode on both of our feeds. Um, that's coming in April. But Megan, for our NASPA listeners who are not familiar with Nakubo or CBO Speaks, can you tell us about both of those things real quickly? Absolutely. So Nakubo is the National Association of College and University Business Officers. And the CBO Speaks podcast has been around, I think we've been around about five or six years. And what we try to do on that podcast is feature CBOs and hear the thought leaders in the industry and just get their take on issues and topics that are happening in their institutions of higher ed today. So it really is kind of an up close and personal look at, at their professional journeys and their challenges and things they're following moving forward. So it's great to have a couple of former CBO Speaks featured guests on with us today. And from the NASPA side for our CBO Speaks audience, I'm Dr. Jill Creighton. I use she, hers pronouns. And in my day gig, I serve as Associate Vice President of Student Affairs and Dean of Students at Washington State University, which is a D1 R1 public land grant. But the vision for the SA Voices show is very similar in that we're working to bring industry experts onto the show to talk about current events and student affairs. We theme every about 14 episodes as a season. Again, we're in the middle of season four right now, which is future casting for the student affairs profession. And we're really excited to talk with our business officer guests today because there's so much happening in the world of finance in higher education that is deeply impacting the success of student affairs and our ability to retain and attract talent and to serve our students and the list goes on. So as Megan mentioned, we are thrilled to bring back two CBO Speaks previous guests, Gerald and Nicole, who are coming from a large public and a small private. And so we're going to get two of those very balanced perspectives today. So Nicole, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be back on CBO Speaks and to join the NASPA podcast. And Gerald, nice to meet you as well. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. And, and like Nicole, glad to be back as a former CBO Speaks guest and learning about NASPA. So 
looking forward to the discussion. I think I'd like to start with how does one become the head business officer at a major university? I think that's a bit of an enigma for student affairs professionals. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got here? Well, it's training and preparation. It's primarily driven by, for me personally, it was a love of business and money and work. Uh, my dad taking me to his job when I was growing up and he was an executive and I developed a love for numbers and accounting in specifically. And over the years, I went to college, university, and I majored in accounting and I went straight into the workforce to a big six firm. And then from big six, you just went into a private industry and you absorb as much as you can as you go. But like I tell a number of people today, it's where my passion and my core intersects. That's what this work means to me. If you just want the title and the position and, and the, the the authority or the gravitas the position holds, I think that's the wrong motivation for being in the role. We are servant leaders. Cole might say this as well. I say it all the time. We have one of the jobs that is behind the scenes, but without our work getting done, the institution has some challenges. So you get here over time by discipline by focus and primarily around for me is help solving problems. I like to do those things. And then finally it's interactions and networks that I've built over the years, meeting people and connecting with them and staying in touch. And quite frankly, I got into higher education thinking I was going to relax coming out of corporate America, but it's been total opposite and I enjoy it. So it's a journey learning something new every day. So you don't just become a CBO. It is a process almost, and it's a journey. Gerald, you mentioned the term big six. That might be new for some of our audience. Can you decipher that? When I got out, I'm dating myself, there were still six big CPA firms that everyone called out. I can't even remember all the names right now. I think they're down to the big four, but it was the six major public accounting firms in the nation and in some instances around the world. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And Nicole, how about your journey? I think my my journey was similar to Gerald's, but with different nuances to it. Like Gerald, both my parents were an influence on my career choice, but both of my parents were teachers. So I think just sort of being drawn to education, that was in my DNA. It always has been just the value of an education, knowing that once you had that, it could never be taken away from you. And it was never about making a lot of money. It was always instilled upon me. It was never how much money you had, but what you did with that money for how you lived your life. So I was always more focused on being motivated by the work that was done for me. So like Gerald, I went into accounting for it and public accounting after college too, one of the large firms like Gerald and didn't find much meaning for it. I wanted work that was more purposeful and, and meaningful for me. And I wanted something that would challenge in my head, live in my heart and nour nourish my soul. And for me, that was higher education serving in that capacity. I was lucky enough to find that position at the University of New England, where I'm at. And I've been here for 23 years and risen up the rank. So I've done it internally to do all that. And I've had internal champions that have helped pull me up through the ranks. And I think they've seen things in me that I didn't quite see in myself, some leadership things. But I think solving problems, having intellectual curiosity, asking questions, reaching out, being a and having teamwork to 
uh, is really important to rise up and, and pulling together and, and reaching across the, the, the boundaries. One of the things we talk about in student affairs a lot is the color of money. And we are managing through many colors of money right now, but we're doing that all in the context of a massive enrollment downturn across the country, which for many of our institutions being tuition driven, we think about that tuition dollar and that state support for publics, but we think about other things too, like auxiliary funded units or student activities fees funded units, research grant dollars, Title IV dollars, and of course, foundation money. So as student affairs folks try to navigate what are becoming smaller streams of funding pools, how can we best work with our business officers in order to keep floating? Well, since I'm at a public now, this is my first public institution. So this is my fifth institution, but all the prior ones were private with the exception of Cornell that is a hybrid public-private. So most of your questions and how you built up the question is around a public institution, but it's no different. The nation is going through a demographic shift. That's one thing we all know. And depending on what study you look at, by the year 2027, minority students will become the majority students on campuses. But the data also suggests that they're also going to be the ones economically challenged in order to afford it. That's one problem. That's the tuition piece of it. The second piece of it is the state appropriations, where you'll hear people say we're state located versus state supported. You know, that's a little joke that everyone runs with. What I try to say to everyone is, at the end of the day, you in a public institution, you're given resources by the state to carry out the mission and objectives of the institution. But the budgeting principles are still the same. The colors of money is a restriction in some ways. But if you're budgeting correctly and you're allocating your resources such that you're spending within your means, then you can have a level setting of what needs to be done. Auxiliary and all the other other colors of money that comes into play, it then becomes something where as the CBO, I believe the onus and responsibility is upon me alongside my team to explain what all of that means. What are the restrictions on those sources of funds? What you can and can't do, even down to the investment options you can make with the funds provided by the state. So there are a lot of regulations and a lot of rules in a public institution where Nicole currently at a private institution will not have those boundaries or restrictions as we do in the public setting. But at the core of it is I say to people, when folks don't know, they make stuff up. And the role for the CBO in, in this instance is to work with the campus at large, ensure that everyone understands where our money's come from, and more importantly, how we're allocating those resources to meet the goals and the objectives, and quite frankly, the mission of the institution. So that's how I would engage with the campus in that regard. Your comment there really speaks to me. I often say in the absence of information, people make up their own. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that is that is very true, especially in budget land. Mm -hmm. Nicole, what are your thoughts? Coming from a private, I have different challenges, but I, you can only spend a dollar once. And I have many people competing to spend that dollar in different ways. I would say for student affairs people to invite their business officer in. Have them come in, have a conversation, do it prior to the budget process, especially if that budget officer is new to higher education, new to get to it. The work that you all do is so important 
it's such a key component to the recruitment, to the retention of our students, just to their experience, to outcomes. It's transformational in needs, and you're dealing with so many complex issues that they may not realize you're working with Title IX issues, mental health issues, making sure that that student experience is okay. You're dealing with parents, right, with families' needs. Reach out. Talk to them about your day. So when they get your budget request, they'll have that story. That narrative will have been formed in them. So it will better inform the conversations when they're going to allocate dollars, making those final budget decisions. It will really help to do that. And Budgets are formed and done, but there's also financial planning that's done looking out to know what's coming forward to it. So there's going to be a lot more going on on the academic side to changing, right, with the changing modalities and, and technology. So how's that going to implement the, the change of the, the academic experience? But it's also going to change and make it a much more immersive residential experience for the traditional college student that we, we think of on campus, which will change how student affairs roles comes on board. So start thinking about how that comes in. That's going to have significant budget impact on that. One of the gifts of this pandemic has forced people at all different levels, has made it much more fluid, the conversations and the Zoom calls to open it up when you've done the planning. Um, you know, I've gotten to know people that I normally wouldn't see except for a couple of times during the year during the hearing. So hopefully you see your budget officer or financial officers as a human being and see how how they labor over decision makes and how much we care and worry about the institution. I mean, like Gerald says, we're, we're behind the scenes people, but we really do a lot to keep the foundation in, in place. And the more we can be included in that conversation and understand what you all are doing, the better off we can help you and your unit and better serve the student. It's a fascinating comment to say that, you know, your business officer is a human being. Is that something that business officers worry about, not being seen as feeling or human? <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. It depends on the topic. Our jobs are difficult at times because we end up having to be the ones that will bring a sense of the reality to a conversation. There are a lot of aspirations, goals, and objectives that folks want to carry out. As you, as Nicole said, you operate and run an institution, but we are the ones with the, the analysis and the data and having to say, okay, let's try it this way uh, or that way. But one of the things we try not to be is, is a no person. Right. I say to my team all the time, we are supposed to be facilitators, not necessarily gatekeepers as how the campus will see us, right? So how do you do that? It depends on the situation, um, depends on the decision that you have to make because at the end of the day, we are thinking in our roles as chief financial officers, we're thinking five, 10 years down the road. So a lot of the discussions that come up have an immediacy to them. And if something is going to bump up against that plan, there has to be a debate. And oftentimes the debates can go good sometimes and sometimes they're harsh, but um, you can't fix what you won't face is the way that I look at it. And people will have their opinions on who you are and what you're about just based on that. And that's okay. But hopefully, to Nicole's, and Nicole said earlier, you as a CFO or CBO, you are immersing yourself in the campus outside of just the financial aspects. You are known by the students, the faculty, the staff, and um, people will understand that you are indeed a human being because you are integrating into the campus. But when it comes to money, people gets, get really funny in, in many ways. 
we have to make difficult decisions. That's part of the role. And we do that in the best interest of the institution. And as Gerald said, we're looking out five years, seven years, 10 years. Uh, so the, the decision at face value for that one year can seem harsh or it can, but by giving people what they want at that point in time can also be a false kindness because we know in year three or year five, it could be significant reduction in benefits or layoffs. So that's what we want to avoid. And, and we're fine making those decisions. It's part of the job and the role. But like Gerald said, it's incumbent upon the business officer to get to know people and to understand the story and listen and to be transparent about those decisions, as transparent as we can be, and to communicate those out. The story is such an important part of what we do in student affairs. And quantitative data is not a great storyteller always in terms of what it is that we're facing on a daily basis. For example, you know, as deans of students, uh, my colleagues and I on a daily basis might work with a student who's just been diagnosed with COVID or who might have just had a family member pass away or whose home was lost in a fire. And we're trying to get all of these students supported uh, in a space where they can persist in their education. But if we count them in certain perspectives, they're only counted as one. But if we present the story, the the impact is very different. A story that I had shared on a couple of previous episodes of Essay Voices is students writing term papers on their cell phones uh, during the pandemic because they don't have access to Wi-Fi or a laptop. And so I'm trying to make the argument that we need more resources to give students access to laptops and stable Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi, especially those coming from rural communities where it just doesn't exist. There isn't that infrastructure. And so these types of dialogues, um, I think student affairs professionals may struggle in translating that into how we can work with our business officers to advocate together for these pieces. What suggestions do you have for student affairs professionals, especially emerging leaders in the field, on how to tell their story to their CBO in a way that is easily digestible and also something that you can lean on? Uh, well, for me, it's, well, I'll answer it this way. The first thing to do is to tell the story. Right. They have to tell us the story. And a lot of times you run into the decision points without us having the full knowledge. The expectation is that we will know because we are the CFO. Sometimes we don't know. So the first thing I would say is tell the story. The second thing that I would say, if you are stepping forward to bring a case or something forward for consideration, is make a clear distinction between needs and wants. And if you can make that distinction, you can have the conversation more along the lines of, okay, which of your requests is going to be more around fundamental to the operations of your unit? And without it, you will not be able to operate with excellence. Put it that way. And then some of the things could be aspirational, which I call wants, that you can be that much better at something if you had these things, that interplay between those two creates a middle ground from where you can start the conversation. If it's something that's really just core to the operations, it's a no-brainer. We would have to go figure out how to get that done. But we want to support people and we want to be able to move the agenda, but don't have one area be in such a way that it takes away from what Nicole said, our future planning. And that's how I approach everything. Everything is tied to a strategy. You bump that up against the strategy and you have the conversation from that standpoint. And the last thing that I would say is this, just be passionate. 
about what you're bringing forward. Just be passionate about it. People can feel your passion and you can actually move some people along to join you in your quest, so to speak, and might be willing to give up something to make that happen. You never know outside of a formal budget hearing or anything like that. I love for our our essay voices listeners to really heed that passion and story piece because that's the exact same messaging we heard from our partners over at the American Council on Education just a couple weeks ago about impacting legislation. So I think that nugget is holding true in a lot of spaces right now. Right. And the numbers, people say, what do you do for work? Oh, you look at, oh, that's, you're the CFO. You look at spreadsheets all day. Gerald and I spend very little time looking at spreadsheets all day. We have, we're very blessed to have talented staff to help us do that. And then we, we look at the numbers. We want to know the story behind the numbers. We're telling stories too and challenging our staff to tell the stories. Those stories are powerful. And it's the reason why we work in higher education too. And we want to hear about those students. And Gerald's absolutely right. The difference between the needs and the wants for it. So we're going to serve that. And that one story can represent an N of, you know, a hundred or an N of 10. So it's separating that out, but we may know somebody, we may know of a foundation that can help, or do we have extra laptop surplus that we can do? We often oversee IT, so information technology may be able to help that way. We have a a lease program with equipment, so we may be able to do a deal so that we can get lower cost laptops to students to work with business partners. So there may be ways that we can help problem solve because we are the liaison with the, out the external business world to sort of help do those relationships and have those conversations. So just walk, this is why it's important to have the conversations with the CFO um, because we have external business partner connections too that you may not have in your world. One of the things that a, a former uh, colleague of mine used to say is not everyone will have a business and finance career, but everyone will have business and finance as part of their jobs. But I also think that in student affairs, we are not necessarily as adequately prepped in that land as we could be, both from our graduate prep and then also just the way that we are mentored through the profession and business. So what uh, advice or resources would you point student affairs professionals to in order to gain some of that competency that I think some of us really pick up in practice? Praxis rather than uh, informal learning? Well, the first thing I would say, just go visit your CBO. Spend time with him or her. It's relationship building for us as the C- CFO on, on our campuses. That's that's the best way if you're on a campus setting. You know, just go out somewhere and sit down and say, hey, look, I don't understand this. Can you help me? And e- believe it or not, sometimes the issues that are brought to us and we have to have the discussion and talk it through, we learn as well. So it's a it's a two-way street, right? I, I know enough about student affairs to be dangerous, right? But I know enough about it in a, in a higher education setting. But there are things you're dealing with in the student affair realm where you guys are trained practitioners on. For example, this whole DEI thing that's coming through now and how it impacts our stu- student body. I just sat in a meeting yesterday listening to some of the trained professionals, and I was like, wow. I had no idea that was the case. And if we have to do that, now my mind as the CFO is, if this program ever comes around, a great program, how do you fit that into the budget and things like that? So it's a two-way street. That's the first thing that I would say. The second thing is business skills and business acumen, I learned it. 
There are ways out there now you can learn. LinkedIn is a great way to have LinkedIn learning, training, those types of things. And it's just reaching out and broadening your network. I met Nicole now maybe about 10 years ago, and I met her through networks. And we've been colleagues ever since, served on several boards together. So that's how that's how I would, you know, encourage people to do it. Just be hungry for the knowledge and don't be afraid to seek out the places that has the knowledge. Right. You know, Nakubo has some great trainings, some new to higher education, how to read it. You don't need to be business and expert reader of financial statements and understand the ratios and the debt ratings and the credits that Gerald and I are worried about, but to understand how to read your budget sheet and and to go through and fill out your purchase order forms and your request for travel and how that works and how to think out, reach out to your business office. We want to learn that reverse mentorship is so important to us and will give us further insight into how our institution's running for that. And, and spending some time in your budget office and accounts payable has trainings. So go do that. And it's not that complicated for it. Don't let it scare you. Don't let the numbers make you nervous. It's very, very doable. And they're happy to share their craft with you as well. And it's an opportunity, too, for our staff to learn what Student Affairs does because it's very much a mystery to them. Megan, I'd love for you to weigh in on that as well, given that you're talking with all of the CDOs and then also with the Nakuba Resources right in front of you. You know, I think one of the things that you're hearing from both of these CBOs today is just how open they are to that communication and that dialogue. And I love what Nicole said that, you know, Student Affairs inviting the business officer in to have that conversation. I think the other thing that that can provide to you as a Student Affairs professional is just the other side of the coin. So you can see the other issues that Gerald and Nicole are dealing with, and it puts things in a little bit more perspective. So I I love that whole approach. And I've interviewed, I think now over 80 CBOs, and they all say almost to a person that one of the biggest skills and attributes that they have ended up having to curate in this profession is communication. So you may think of them as the numbers people, but really they're there and they have the heart for higher ed. They want to hear, as you're hearing on the podcast today, they want to hear from you about what's going on. So I think the message is don't be intimidated and go ahead and and make the ask and have those conversations. And what I'm hearing here too is an opportunity for student affairs professionals to start wading into the waters of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion as we talk about finances. Because I think that finance is often thought of as value neutral, and it's actually the exact opposite. It's extraordinarily value-laden. We are literally putting our money where our mouth is. So as we choose what to fund, as we choose what to prioritize, as we choose who gets support, there is justice, equity, and diversity and inclusion baked into all of that. And I'm hearing student affairs might have a role at the business officer table to bring our expertise in that space to that room. We are back with our lightning round. And so we've got all three of our, well, our co-hosts and our two guests playing today. Ready to go? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting some nods. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Ready. All right. Seven questions in about 90 seconds. Here we go. Number one, if you were a conference keynote speaker, what would your entrance music be? Thunderstruck. <laughs> um, I will survive. Oh no. You will survive this lightning. (laughs) I'll be Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Number two, when you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A park ranger. A teacher. Professional tennis player. 
Number three, who is your most influential professional mentor? I'm going to have to say my first boss when I worked at the Boston Private Industry Council, my first actual job out of out of the Peace Corps. So yes. My former president who promoted me into this role. I have one clarifying question. Alive or passed on? Your choice. It's, this is a very hard one. It's really two people, but I'll just choose one. Uh, Dorothy Kowser Yancey. Number four, who is your favorite author, personal or professional? Kristen Hanna, personal. I'm reading Obama's book now. And you can hear him speaking when he reads it. So, you know, like the container, whenever he reads, I'll just go with that because I'm enjoying his book. It depends on the situation. I just like John Maxwell. Number five, your essential higher education read. I'm just going to go with the Nakuba website because I read that every single day. Bowman and Deal, Four Frames of an Organization. Oh, wow. What a coincidence. You guys say that? <laughs> yeah. Just say ditto. Yeah, ditto. That book is, now I'm at a new institution, so that book is actually sitting on, right, I can turn my head to the left and I'm looking at it. That's a powerful book. If you both said it, we all have to read it. <laughs> yeah, ditto. Ditto. Wow. It's not a financial book. It's not a financial book. It's an organizational behavior book. Can you say the title one more time? Four Frames of an Organization by Bowman and Deal. All right. Everyone should read that now. Number six, the podcast you've spent the most hours listening to in the last year. It's probably This American Life. Finding Mastery. This might seem weird, but we talked off air about my own podcast. So that's what I've been listening to the most. I'm upwards of almost 40 episodes now, so I've been listening to that quite a bit. But I, I normally don't listen to podcasts. You can plug your show if you'd like to. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> a shameless plug, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But my own podcast is what I've been listening to because I interview and I listen to the guests and after it's recorded and aired. And finally, number seven, any shout outs you'd like to give personal or professional? I'm going to give a shout out to my producer because I know he's going to have to do some work on this episode. So shout out to Pete for producing this episode on our end. I'm just going to give a shout out to student affairs professionals and business officers for everything that they've done to help students in the higher education industry going through this pandemic. What a journey. We've been going through this for over a year and I say I've never worked so hard, done so much work and been so behind. So I can imagine you're all tired. And, <laughs> and as a mother of two sons in higher education right now, a special shout out to the special student affairs people from a parent's perspective. So thank you. Well, since Nicole gave the shout out to student affairs, I'll just give the shout out to my, everyone that had anything for me making it this journey in the CBO. Just give everyone a shout out because I learned a little bit from each stop that I've made. And more importantly, a very deep shout out to the current team that I'm working with at the University of Central Florida. I started on January 4th and it has been a seamless process getting me up to speed. So inside a pandemic, no less, where I'm not able to go around and meet people, I'm doing everything via Zoom. So shout out to those folks for getting me up and running at UCF. You made it through lightning Round. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Well, Megan, as we come to the end of our time together today, is there anything else you'd love the Essay Voices audience to learn about CBO Speaks? Well, thank you for asking. First of all, 
I do want to just give a little bit of a plug for the podcast because we don't talk about super wonky business topics. There is another podcast that Nakubo produces called Nakubo in Brief if you want the wonky topics. But the CBO Speaks is really the human behind the role as we were just talking about earlier. So I do encourage you to check out a couple of episodes of CBO Speaks because you will get a behind the scenes look at what these folks are thinking about. And they are, you know, just incredible, incredible human beings. So I would encourage you to do that. You can find that Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as the Nukubo website. You just click on the professional development section and then click podcasts. And for our CBO Speaks audience, Essay Voices from the Field can be found Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you listen or on the NASPA website. We embed them and you can stream if you don't want to put anything on your mobile device. Or, you know, if we can uh, entertain you during lunch, that's also a, a great option. And CBO Speaks listeners, you can find me on Twitter at Jill Creighton. How can Essay Voices listeners find you? You can find me on the University of New England's website or at ntrufont at une.edu. And you can find me on the University of Central Florida's website as well and at gerald.hector at ucf.edu. If you're interested in following me in the social world or on this podcast, it's at Instagram, it's Gerald Hector 2. Twitter is Faith Walking 3. LinkedIn, obviously. And those are the three ways to reach me publicly. I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand and I'm on LinkedIn as well on at Megan Strand. And I think we talked a little bit about finding the podcast CBO Speaks on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all so very much for sharing your voices today. Thank you. Thank you. It's amazing. Thank you. It's welcome. It was a pleasure. 